0: Remembering, do you hear my little red? Hold me softly, the cold grows. I remember, I am hugely black and hopeful. I bounce on six legs along the mountains in the new warm. Sing the changer, sing the stranger. Will the changes change forever? All my hums have words now, another change. Eagerly I bound on sunward following the tiny thrill in the air. The forests have been shrinking again. Then I see, it is me, me myself, Mogadit. I have grown bigger more in the winter, cold. I astonish myself, Mogadit the small. Excitement, enticement, shrilling from the sun side of the world, I come. The sun is changing again too. Sun is walking in the night. Sun is walking back to summer in the warming of the light. Warm is me, Mogadit myself. Forget the bad time winter. Memory quakes me, the old one. A recap of Love is the Plan, the Plan is Death. In stream of consciousness, poetic prose, this story follows the life cycle of an alien creature trying to defy and break the cycle only to find out that the cycle is not what they thought. And also there's insect sex.
1: You've got a little time.
0: We've got a little podcast.
1: It's Short Story Short Podcast. I'm Chris, here today with... Christy Baxter. And Christy, it's a new world. It's a new time. It is. And what is new in our reading world? What is new in our reading world is that
0: we have read... Love is the Plan, the Plan is Death by
1: James Tiptree Jr. And let's start with a very, very simple thing. James Tiptree Jr. is a writer whose writing is very confusing to me. But I also think James Tiptree Jr. as an entity was very confusing in the life of Alice Shelton, who was... James Tiptree Jr. Mm -hmm. And expresses that beautifully through the work that they produced. Yes.
0: Yes. Agreed. And this is, I guess if I could uh, attach one descriptor to this story, I could attach many. Some of them, many of them positive, a a couple negative probably, but the one kind of neutral one I think would be a little confusing.
1: It's confusing in a way that a lot of Tiptree's work is uh, Houston, Houston, Can You Read is probably the most straight ahead story. But what's interesting about this one is it is a presentation of inevitability in even the deepest thought and measured mind. And and really, it's sad that this is one of the stories that the story of uh, Al Shelton is that Uh, she was James Tiptree Jr. uh, And down the line after her husband had been suffering from dementia, uh, she killed him and herself. And that aspect plays into the reading of a lot of her work, which almost universally has themes that are very dark and themes of the inescapability of not quite destiny, but the inescapability of progress towards a doom, I guess is the best way to look at it.
0: Very optimistic, but uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's very true. There is that definite sense. It's right there in the title too. This title feels like it holds weight throughout the story more so than I think any, any title of a story that we've read so far Mm -hmm. in that, It you keep on mentally going back to it and reminding yourself of it as you're reading the story. And so you kind of know the ending uh, in a way, at least you have an idea, probably going to be death. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So you have that, but it keeps you reading. And it's also just a beautifully constructed title too.
1: Oh yeah. And titles like this, and i'll add the other one um what it is we talk about when we talk about love um not only gives away but it's again it sets expectations that when things start to move away from it you start to question that aspect and i think here that plays very very strongly through the middle about third of the story you're thinking huh i wonder what oh That's why this is about death. But I have to say, the thing that gets me here is Tiptree's use of language, again, here it's all first-person, more or less stream-of-consciousness narration. And it is is the telling of a story, uh, that it is being told in the same way that... uh, Oh, what movie was it? Where the protagonist is dead dies at the end of the the movie and is looking back at it. Uh, American Beauty.
0: Okay. All right. Okay.
1: Yes. Um, And that idea that, you know, we don't quite expect it to be that level, but there's an unexpected way that the language zigs and zags you around and makes you wonder, is the plan actually effective? Is it what they think the plan is, is it what they're actually planning? There's all these sort of zigs and zags, but then when you get to the the alien, alien insect sex, it sort of makes that a moot point almost.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I I definitely agree with the zigging and the zagging. My gosh, it it does zig and zag all over the place, both in the language and in the events of the story because you're you're following this life cycle, but you're not really sure if it's going to hold true to a standard human life cycle because obviously we're dealing with something that is not human. And so the plot itself also kind of zigs and zags you around as different developments occur for the, the characters here mogadit and lililu
1: which those are just mm-hmm. fun to say <laughs> <laughs> Lililu, uh, Lililu, <laughs> very 1960s science fiction names
0: <laughs> yes yes agreed
1: yeah and one of the things is the like even just the pacing of it you know you'll get a chunky paragraph full of uh almost, I wouldn't say flowery, but expressive, emotive language, followed by a short little little blast paragraph. Uh, Things like, great is the plan, but I was greater. Uh, And then, you know, lots and lots and lots of dashes, both M and N, uh, all over the place here which I think speaks to this idea of immediacy.
0: And I think that those dashes are almost inescapable with that stream of consciousness style because it's, it's part of how we think that we don't necessarily end a thought before beginning another one. We have lots of parentheticals in our own thoughts. And especially this creature being sort of, uh, uh, not super hyper literate, I guess I would say, is going to have these these more jumbled thoughts and the the dashes. Uh, do really aid in that. I am not saying that because I am a flagrant abuser of m (laughs) dashes (laughs) myself.
1: I abuse semicolons in a way that uh, drives English professors and people who have to edit me nuts to which I say, what is your problem? (laughs) Uh, That was an English major joke. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There's some amazing amazing moments in this that make me go you one suddenly I see a black streak down below a big brother is running away mother's booming voice breaks off her great body tenses her plates crash mother roars I don't know why but that breaks me every time I read this story it's like a oh there's something going on that I don't want to
0: know about <laughs> oh you, you know what uh what what I couldn't handle as far as uh, moments in the language. She I have I'm gonna have a hard time even reading this. She always hummed us so tenderly. We nestled in her warm mother for sucking the lovely mother juices. Ah, Oh God. I mean, I know language is supposed to be evocative and everything, and that's you a reaction is good. If you can get a reaction out of a reader with your language, that's fantastic. but I wish I hadn't had to read that.
1: yeah it was it evoked in me it evoked hard it
0: it evoked a lot yeah
1: (laughs) yeah and I think that is one of the things Tiptree is great at is Tiptree's writing is confrontational in the way that I think really truly great writing is is it is confrontational to your sense of comfort Mm -hmm.
0: Mm mm-hmm (laughs) mm-hmm
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, having read so much Tiptree because I just uh, really like some of the ideas of of that sort of both inevitability and the questioning of roles in the universe, really. Uh, and if you haven't read the the biography that won the Hugo a couple of years ago about uh, Shelton, an amazing book, hugely, deeply researched. Um, put away a weekend to read it. Uh, and then once you've gotten through that second chapter that weekend, you hold off for a bit. You're going to want it. <laughs> but what's amazing is that it is discomforting at the same time as not necessarily off-putting.
0: It does bump up against off-putting pretty hard, especially <laughs> when once again, the alien insect sex occurs, that it does bump up real hard, it, it, which is, which I think is brave, you know, to, to take it as far as you can take it, but still not to be able to completely squick the reader out, only mostly squick the reader out.
1: <laughs> mostly squick, yes, and I think one of the funny things about that is the only way you could get away with this at that point is by making it insects, by taking away any humanity that they might have, even though it is 100% obvious to me that this is referencing human lifestyle, human life paths and sociological pathways. And if you look at other stories where insects are used in this very similar way, not necessarily the uh, the hardcore insect porn, but uh, <laughs> things like, uh, I think it's anarchy, Cartographer Wasps and Anarchist Bees, Uh, another phenomenal story that uses also that sort of stream of consciousness emergent language. Uh, Very different takes, but they're both basically commenting on human traits and concepts within these different being types. And we're more easily accepting of that role.
0: Yeah, and there's one thing that really strikes me about about the story is these moments that are so very human, that are so very human. For instance oh love are we the first have others loved with their whole selves oh sad thinking that lovers before us have left no trace isn't that first love just right there i mean that that is definitely every time a teenager falls in love they feel like they are definitely the only person to have experienced love to this extent on the planet it's it's and i'm not shaming that that's a, a universal human experience but That to put that into words and have the character express that and it it is really I think a beautiful thing and something that I I hadn't really put into words myself until I read that line.
1: Yes, and this is, in the end, a story of hubris and what I think amazing about that is, it is not just a story of hubris, it is actually a story of pathos. It is, you cannot break the chain, but you must believe that you can break the chain in order for the fall to come.
0: Otherwise, how could we exist, honestly? You have to be able to believe that maybe you can break the chain and and not follow the same path as all those who came before. Another thing that you touched on earlier was you mentioned the sociological uh, kind of aspects of it. And I was really fascinated with that idea that it, you know, Mogadit sort of jumps from a hunter uh, sort of society to a more agricultural-ish in the attempt to, you know, keep the the food source nearby and penned up in in order to survive the winter. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I was was very fascinated by that and and thinking it was kind of almost inspirational in a way. But is it... It's inspirational if it's if it's love that is prompting that innovation. Uh, I guess it's yeah. also inspiration if it's desperation that is prompting that innovation. It's it's inspirational no matter which way you put it. I guess.
1: Yeah, and I think there is a very concrete reading of this story that is, it is Mogadit is suffering from great man syndrome and you know, when things begin to fall apart, you know, uh, what fool, for of course they rotted there in the heat and heaps turned green and slimy, but still tasting good of uh, my berry. I mean, he's obviously realizing, yeah, I dumb fucked up. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I mean, there's all these sort of weird little bits like that that really make me realize we are supposed to believe the entire way through that the cycle has changed and when it becomes that it is certainly not changed i actually want to say that is a satisfying ending
0: yeah it really is there there's something satisfying about inevitability because um not to be too smart about it but we can count on it i guess (laughs)
1: See, I know there is only one inevitability that I will cure death, um, at least for me. Uh, Same here. But <laughs> that's the only inevitability there is. But I think one of the beautiful, beautiful things about looking back at stories like this is exactly how depressing science fiction was in the 60s and 70s.
0: <laughs> so depressing. <laughs>
1: It's like, it is no wonder there were so many heavy drinkers among that crew. <laughs> yeah.
0: Can't blame them. Needed a drink too when I finished it.
1: <laughs> Correct.
0: <laughs> I was waiting. It was
1: going to happen. Yeah.
0: Uh, well, yeah. So any other thoughts on this one? Um, well, I, I learned a new word this week. And that word is and I, I hope I'm pronouncing it right, chiasmus. Oh, yes. And uh, I did not really have a, a name for that. And, and I, I think that the title is, it's, if it's not a chiasmus, it's almost a chiasmus, I guess.
1: Yeah, I would say that's agreeable. Uh, I thought there were some phrases in here that I thought uh, came out particularly moist.
0: Oh, and I thought that would
1: trouble you. No. <laughs>
0: Yes, it's troubling. I hate that word.
1: I hate uh, it. Uh, bless
0: it. <laughs> Full body but, cringe is what's going on right now. <laughs> Head to toe. My toes are cringing.
1: A <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Well, uh, Christy. Yes? If you decide to come back next week, <laughs> what are we going to be reading?
0: Uh, if you promise not to use that word next week, We will be reading and discussing The Lottery by Shirley Jackson, every English teacher's favorite thing to assign.
1: Yay, another uplifting story. (laughs) Yay. It's almost
0: like fiction plums the depths of uh, human suckiness at times.
1: Correct again. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, until then, you. this has been <laughs> Short Story Short Podcast <laughs>